As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hi, this is Greg Kilstrom. Welcome to Season 3 of the Agile World, where we discuss customer and employee experience, organizational and workforce transformation, and how business can adapt and continually improve in an Agile age. The Agile World podcast is brought to you by Tech Systems, an industry leader in full-stack technology services, talent services, and real-world application. For more information, go to techsystems.com. To read more about the topics discussed in this show, you can go to my website at theagile.world, and read my latest articles, or get a copy of my latest book, The Agile Workforce, now available on Amazon and other retailers. Hi, my name is Greg Kilstrom, and I'm the host of the Agile World podcast. Today, we're going to talk about the employee onboarding process, remote work, and the best methods to ensure success with onboarding new employees. To help me discuss this topic, I'd like to welcome David Secunda, the founder and CEO of WorkBright, an HR tech startup that moves traditional employee onboarding to a 100% remote process that workers complete before they arrive. Uh, welcome to the show, David. Thanks, Greg. Total pleasure to be with you today. Yeah, looking forward to talking with you. So let's uh, let's get started by talking a little bit about your company, WorkBright. Um, what uh, gave a, a little intro um, there, but you know, what what does WorkBright do, and, and what are some of the biggest challenges that you help solve? You bet. Well, I'll start with a little bit of a personal story, which is that that WorkBright uh, is not my first startup. I've, I've been a, at this for quite a while. I think it's the, the sixth startup I've done. And and this was kind of born out of the pain points of the last company that I founded, which is still a going concern. Is hiring hundreds of people in short periods of time in a highly regulated industry. And we found that onboarding was incredibly painful and consequential. And uh, we looked at a lot of the other solutions and they really didn't fit our needs. We had folks that were contingent workers, so folks that were part-time, seasonal, temporary or contract workers. Um, and again, we were regulated, so the bar was pretty high as far as the number of different things we had to collect from them. And so I talked with a number of my colleagues who served either uh, kind of high turnover industries or contingent industries. Uh, were those that were regulated, and we found that the, the needs were very, very similar. So that was the, the, the impetus to start the company, and I just say that because we've kind of built it from the ground up with folks who, uh, you know, really rolled up their sleeves and have experienced these yeah. challenges in other companies and kind of brought those skill sets uh, to, to work right. The, the thing that I'll say in the world of onboarding right now, which is pretty active, um, and we're talking right now in May of 2021, as things are finally you know, taking a turn, I will say for the better in the pandemic as vaccinations roll forward, 
But over the last year, we've, we've seen just a monumental and tectonic shift in onboarding from a traditional walk into the office in-person experience to 100% remote experience. And that's kind of what we cut our teeth on just because that was the nature of these previous businesses that I owned, which they were uh, distributed and uh, these workers were remote. And so we've been doing that for years and all of a sudden um, there's a huge emphasis on uh, how do you bring in workers and get everything done that you need to do without necessarily meeting with them in person? And I think the the piece that is left with uh, folks who are in the HR profession, even as the landscape now changes due to the to the health changing uh, conditions out there, is that we're asking ourselves, well, what really is most important to do in person, and what serves the employee best to keep it in a remote setting? Uh, because they're going to be having an easier time doing it and prefer to do it in that in that method as well. So that's kind of the the big uh, nature of the industry right now and what we're seeing. And I guess just to to follow on that, and there's been a lot of activity recently as far as companies coming out and you know setting at least some interim initial remote work policies now that there's the return to the office and stuff are companies that you're working with are they um obviously doing the remote onboarding is is great are you seeing a lot of companies that are moving to more remote work in general like out outside yeah. of the onboarding absolutely i mean i think this is a trend uh as we've all been hearing that you can't really push back in the toothpaste tube so to speak yeah employees have found uh those that are uh, kind of blessed and privileged have the opportunity to be able to work in flexible environments meaning that their work doesn't require them to physically be in a specific place at a specific time um, I think have both experienced the isolation of pandemic, but also the freedom of working from different places. And employers are, are kind of scrambling to try and figure out how to balance uh, the culture and um, kind of benefits of being in a physical workplace together with the flexibility and desire of employees to um, kind of have that ability to work when and where they want. You know, onboarding is a it's a critical piece in the the employee journey. Um, how do you you know, especially remotely and and using technology, like how can how can companies still make sure that new employees feel like they're part of the team, feel like they get a yeah. sense of culture and and all that stuff, and just really you know feel like they belong? Because otherwise, you know, if they walk into the office back in the, the good old days or whatever, yeah. they could meet people in person and all that. Like, how do you kind of make up for some of those gaps? Yeah, absolutely, and it's such a critical question to be asking. And so to step back for a moment, when I'm using the term onboarding, it's not something that has a tight industry definition. So um, I'm gonna you know term that from the point that you uh, decide to hire someone uh, till probably a couple to you know three months after they have started that position, um, that is kind of the arc of what I'll consider the the period of onboarding. And there are various things that need to happen um, during that arc of time. It is helpful to kind of think about onboarding then in, in two categories. One is tactical onboarding, and the other is cultural onboarding. And they both need to happen, and they have different components at different times. But it's helpful to kind of separate them overall. The tactical onboarding, and, and by and large, that is what Workbrite is focused on, 
Um, is the is the component that employers are by and large again deciding that this does not have to be in the office. There is no benefit to having somebody come and sit yeah. down in a fluorescent lit room during the first <laughs> several hours of work in front of a stack of paper. It, it's a it's a negative employee experience. Um, it's it's not a, a positive brand identity with the company and, and many other things. So the tactical aspects. Uh, are the ones that again uh, employers are saying let's let's keep this remote and they're pushing that lever forward to say um, how can we even uh, keep processes like uh, signing section two of the I nine in a remote setting without them coming to an office and have you talk about loop back to that sort of a, an issue a little bit later the cultural side of it then needs to be interspersed throughout the entire process of this you know from point of deciding hire until they've been in a position for a while and looking at this last year where that was a process for many employers where it went a hundred percent virtual in general um the themes in that are number one it is it is a race so typically employees that are applying for a position and potentially accepting a position with your company have also applied in other areas as yeah. well and so it really is a race to see how quickly you can get someone to work which is the point where they are more committed um, unfortunately this is kind of the way things uh, uh, you know tend to pan out you really want to get them there as quickly as possible so you kind of want to move this this piece of both tactical and cultural onboarding uh, to, to move pretty quickly. And in the cultural onboarding is a breadcrumbing process from that first point that might be um, in a virtual world, it might be a video from the CEO uh, to the next step might be remotely pairing them uh, with a mentor in the workplace in a similar position. Uh, the next thing might be several uh, email or phone communications with somebody who's gonna be training them, et cetera, moving them forward. Um, and so, the thing I'll say about cultural onboarding and what we saw in the pandemic is by and large, our advice is for companies to look at what was successful in the non-digital world, what worked well on the cultural onboarding side, and then do the best they can to adopt that into a virtual world. So uh, I'll give one example of that. Um, you had said, you know, employees coming to the office and meeting other people at Workbrite and at Workbrite, the last, I think, five employees we hired in the last year, I still have not met them in person yet. Yeah. Um, yeah. And one of, the, one of the things that was a highlight for new employees is that we would have these scheduled coffees with everyone in the company. So in their first um, three, four weeks, they would have a chance to sit down with every single other employee, either one-on-one -on -one or a group of two or three, and just have a 15-minute coffee in the morning and meet them and nothing too structured. And it was always identified as a high point of the onboarding. So we just adopted that for the virtual world. We set up these little Zoom rooms for new employees that um, they were paired with people from different departments on different days. Um, we gave them all the, the people who were gonna be in that room a little gift certificate for, uh, for coffee. And we also gave them a communication starter question, which they could or cannot use. It was up to them, but just to get it going. So that's just an example of just looking at, you know, what you're already doing and adapting it into that virtual world. Um, and then there's certainly things that, that bridge between tactical and cultural onboarding. So for example, again, at Workbrite, when we're hiring somebody new, we have um, a little bit of a survey in the system that's asking them, hey, what's your favorite coffee shop? What do you like to go out to dinner? What do you like to do in the outdoors? If you have a full day off, what do you like to do? And this then becomes available to the manager 
so that they can provide props to that employee in the future, even for years to come, and have them, you know, hit head on exactly with uh, what that employee is interested in, depending on you know what the success was or what the achievement was. Um, so lots of ways to kind of uh, commingle those two things. What does measurement look like? You know, how do you measure success in what Workbright does um, for for your customers? Yeah, so we look at speed and throughput. So how fast can employees get through the process and what percentage of the employees make it through the process and actually get to work? And those are really, you know, they are the statistics that our customers are interested in and and that really make a big difference at the end of the day. Um, And it's why we maniacally focus on every aspect of onboarding, almost like an e-commerce retailer looks at every step of the shopping cart process to see where they lose people or that sort of a thing. Um, So we're looking at that from a technology perspective. And then also a big part of what we do is a consultative um, kind of working session with new customers so that we're not just digitizing the forms that they typically handed employees in the past, but we're looking at everything that's presented to the employee and, and asking the question, what's the most efficient uh, and positive manner to get all of this information to the employees and get everything back that you need, removing any redundancy, only asking an employee to enter one piece of information one time ever, um, those sorts of things. So we tend to be able to kind of uh, consolidate and, and really um, you know, simplify the onboarding process through that consultative work before we digitize it. Yeah. Yeah. I like it. Cause it's, you know, you, you mentioned the two different categories and, and while there's, you know, you're on the more technical side of onboarding, I can't help but imagine that to your, you painted the picture of the sitting in the room with the fluorescent lights and filling yes. out form. Like we've all been there. Or I, I know I have a few times and, you know, to me, that's a negative, you know, so it's sometimes it's not even about the net positive, like, um, effect. It's just about, oh, wow, this was so easy that I didn't have to go through that painful process or just the awkward process of sitting there with the pen that doesn't work and filling out forms and trying to remember my driver's license number and whatever, whatever the case may be. So I think it's so, I think it's so important and I'm, I'm sure it, it helps in some, maybe it's, there's also intangible ways that it, that it helps with their overall experience. Um, are, are your customers also measuring other things on their own, you know, some things like engagement and other other steps in the process in addition to what, you know, what your product does? Absolutely. I mean, I think every customer has numerous KPIs that they're looking at uh, as far as how they're measuring success of their of their systems overall. Um, you know, another one that that often our customers look at um, as as really the final measure of engagement is um, if they are keeping those employees beyond the 90 day mark, like they mm-hmm. typically tend to say, okay, 90 days are probably going to be in it for the long run. Um, you know, who do we lose along the way? Um, and what we tend to see down those lines and, and to employers, this is a really important question because you typically, especially in the contingent workforce, which might not be working long-term, you are really making a large upfront investment. So you're posting to various job sites, you're spending time interviewing employees. Once you hire someone, you typically have a pretty intensive training period, and then they get to work potentially for only a seasonal position. And so if somebody goes through the training and then they work for a week and then they leave, you've totally 
uh, lost your ROI on that on that employee. So it's all about kind of keeping them uh, keeping them engaged. And the biggest thing that we see employees drop out uh, in the first ninety days around is misaligned expectations. Um, and so we really work with employers to be as transparent and honest as possible. Uh, because we see that translating into higher quality and more satisfied employees. Even if the hiring might move a little bit slower, the churn rate is a lot lower. So let's uh, let's switch gears a little bit here to talk about some of the process and you know just how you're able to, uh, this is the Agile World uh, podcast. So talk about agility and, and processes. And you know I'm sure while your, your platform streamlines things, every company's a little bit different and, and so on and so forth. So um, can you talk about, you know, adaptivity and, and agility in, in your processes as well as um, when sometimes, you know, that being too agile may, may not be even the best approach? Yeah, that's a, that's a great one. So let me start with that latter one and then I'll come back to the sure. I-9 process as, a, as an example. So um, when is it, it's a really, it's such a good question. When should you be less agile? <laughs> you know, right, when, right. I know. When, is, when is it important to draw that line? And so the thing that I like to say to, um, you know, HR professionals, the folks who are also, you know, likely listening in, to this podcast is to really think about those aspects of what you do professionally that fall into your unique ability. And by unique ability, I mean those things that you have a never-ending thirst for learning, you have superior skill, but most importantly, they are things that give you more energy than they take. They give you more energy, and that's the, the greatest indicator that you're working in your uh, unique ability area. Those yeah. are things that even if there is a more agile solution or a technology fix, those are typically things you want to hold on to pretty tightly because they're going to bring not only personal satisfaction in your job, but it is very likely that those things that align with that unique ability also are the things that are adding the most value for your company and to your employees. So on that side, I use that as a little litmus test of um, just because you can some, do something, should you do something overall? Absolutely. <laughs> so when we look at the agile aspect of, of technology and onboarding, we start with a lot of just customer conversations and saying, what sucks about your job? You know, what, what is it that you like the least and that you would like to automate the most? And in general, what we hear from, from folks in the HR industry is, wow, you know, I got into HR because I love people and I love working with people. And then I found that 80 to 90% of my job is administrative and moving policies and papers around to different places. Um, can you help me get back to expanding the, the, you know, pie of the slice of pie of time that I can spend with employees? Because that's really what is um, going to be most beneficial to them and give me the most job satisfaction. So when we look at that for employers um, and HR professionals, the I-9 is one of those areas that is time consumptive and, um, and it's low on the scale. It's high stress, it's high consequence, and it's, it's just difficult overall. So the things that we did, first of all, we looked at kind of where the, and, and this is just traditional technology company really doing a deep dive on this, but we looked at where the time was being spent. And there was a process called E-Verify, which if, uh, as many companies are using this, 
Uh, it's a manual process where once the I-9 form is submitted by an employee, and that, as a reminder for folks who don't know, is that form where you also have to physically show your work authorization documents, and they look at the numbers and expiration dates, and they write them all down, uh, and they typically make a, a copy of those documents as well. So E-Verify then requires the HR professional to take all that information and then enter it into a government system. And so it can easily take 15, 20 minutes per employee, and it's a very manual process. So that's where we began with a deep integration into that government system. So now within Workright, um, once somebody completes their I-9, if you're using E-Verify, it just runs automatically. It just does its thing. And 95% of the time, you don't have to touch it. And the, the remaining 5% of the time, the system will come back and say, um, hey, you need to do a photo verification or some other step. Uh, and you can handle that within the Workright interface. So that in itself can save hundreds of hours for um, medium and, and larger employers. So that was that was one place. And then the last, which is so interesting because it is truly the last bastion of in-person requirement, is this um, is this federal requirement to see the physical work authorization documents. And during pandemic, those were relaxed in a way for the first time ever that employers could temporarily view documents electronically instead of in person. So an employee could send a, a photo of those documents and then the employer could sign their form I-9 just looking at the photo. But at a point in time, the government was saying after pandemic, which hasn't happened yet, we're gonna reinforce this. And then all those employees are gonna to have to go back and actually see those forms in person. Mm -hmm. So we've created a, a remote authorized representative technology, uh, patent pending on this one that's pretty exciting, which allows the employee to designate a third party of their choosing, an authorized representative. And what our technology does is allow that employee to um, put their phone number into our solution. Uh, and then when they get the consent of that person, it um, verifies that the employee and this third party are physically in the same location, which is a government requirement, and it verifies that they are two different people using two different devices. Um, and that's kind of where our, our patent pending technology exists in that. And then it allows that person to look at those work authorization documents and sign to the uh, best of their ability that they're um, that they are look authentic and um, that they don't see any reason why they you know, are, are not authorized to work in the United States. And then we also have an internal audit step that is using technology to verify that those documents uh, fit the requirements and are um, authentic in, in a way that is at a much higher uh, quality rate than any human could really do overall. Mm -hmm. And then finally, we've, we have entered a uh, internal audit step for employers who want another level of conservatism that they can look at the photo of those documents before that third party signs just to make sure the documents are acceptable as well. So this whole process has saved employers, again, a huge amount of time, but also employees who were making long physical trips before work began into a work location just to pull out this, um, you know, this work authorization document to, to show that they're ready to go. One, one last question before we go here. Um, so just, you know, to kind of get back to the, the overall trends, uh, you know, I, I agree with your 
your sentiment that you know remote work is is certainly here to stay. I mean, what are what are your thoughts though on this kind of hybrid, you know, there's there's some companies that are adamant that, you know, 100% of people coming into the office is, is the way that they're going to run things. There's others that are like, nobody ever needs to come in. I mean, do you, where, do you, do you think that the future is somewhere in the middle or, you know, what, what do you, what do you think is going to shake out over the, maybe the next 12 months? Yeah. It's interesting because we've been hearing a lot uh, about this word uh, flexibility uh, from, uh, yeah. from different news outlets when they're talking to employers, employees. And interestingly, that word flexibility to some employees is just a breath of fresh air. It's what I've been waiting for. But for others, it's also a lack of structure that makes them uncomfortable. So, you know, it is truly a brave new world out there. I do think that we're going to return to something in the middle overall and that we're going to see a more customized approach similar to you see in in more personalized medicine where it's not a one size fits all. So there's a company in Colorado um, called Crocs uh, that uh, makes shoes that you might have uh, be, be familiar yeah. with. And they were interviewed yesterday on uh, public radio and they said that they had created four personas of employees and each employee would fall into one of these personas. And um, at one extreme, they were called an explorer. Those were folks who were never in the office. Um, and I can't remember what the name was on the other end of the extreme uh, that was somebody who was always in the office. And this is based on uh, both job requirements and employee preference. And then you would, you would kind of fit into one of these personas and then that would define the equipment that you got, um, how often you were in the office, all these different circumstances instead of just saying this position requires this sort of uh, in-person or remote uh, you know, configuration. David, uh, thanks so much for joining the show. And for those listening, um, what's the best way for them to keep up with what you're doing? Absolutely. You know, visit uh, workright.com. There is a pretty amazing blog that we have where we're uh, cranking out content on a weekly basis, specifically for those in the HR profession uh, around agility and onboarding and how to do your job as best possible. Wonderful. Well, again, I'd like to thank David Secunda, a founder and CEO of Workbrite for joining the show. Thanks for listening to The Agile World with Greg Kilstrom. See you next week. Thanks again for listening to The Agile World podcast brought to you by Tech Systems. I'm your host, Greg Kilstrom. If you enjoyed the show, please take a minute to subscribe on your podcast channel of choice and leave us a rating so that others can find the show more easily. You can learn more and get a copy of my latest book, The Agile Workforce, from my website at theagile.world.